the belief that we're all in this together is I think the most comforting and also the most powerful message that we have. That's what I would like to offer. So I was, I was remembering um, a text from Rabbi Simcha Bunim for a Hasidic teaching that every person should keep a, a little note in each pocket, like a little piece of paper, one in each pocket. Mm -hmm. And one of the pieces of paper says, the world was created for me. And the other pa paper on the other side in the other pocket says, I am but dust and ashes. And that both of them are true. <laughs> and that sometimes in our lives, we need to take out one paper and sometimes we need to take out the other one. And that we just have to exist in the world holding these intention, both the idea that we are totally exalted and that we are totally humble. But please tell us about this Thrive Plan and how you and your congregation are getting involved. Sure. So I'd like to go back to where you started with the podcast, which was talking about the fact that this is a sabbatical year. So in our congregation, and particularly in our climate action team, we were thinking about what would be an appropriate project for us to get involved in that reflects the, uh, the values of the sabbatical year. The sabbatical year raises some really deep questions about what is a sustainable society, and it challenges us to think about what we do in the present to invest in a better future. For increasing numbers in the Jewish community, Shemitah practice is emerging as a compelling part of our tradition that we can learn from in this moment, but it's part of the Christian tradition too. In Exodus chapter 23, describe one of the major components of Shemitah practice, which is rest for the land. In a way, this mirrors the weekly Sabbath, like for six days we work and on the seventh we rest. Here though, in the practice of Shemitah, the focus is more on the land than on the people. For six years, the land is worked, and on the seventh, the land is let go or released. And actually, that's what Shemitah means in Hebrew, release. So, pastor and rabbi, I'm interested to know what might jump out for you about this part of the Shemitah practice. Do you want to go first? Oh, if I, if I go first, we won't stop. I won't stop talking. So, <laughs> I want to make sure that, you know. Well, yeah, 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 yeah. No, uh, yeah, you were, thank you for that question. So, where my mind goes when I think about this, especially from uh, an African-American culture perspective, is that there is a history of um, sharecropping in the stories of African-Americans. And so uh, plots were given to those who were sharecroppers. And so we developed those agricultural practices. And um, I believe that to the best as I understand it, is that some of those practices would still be done. Uh, back then where people understood that the land needed to rest so that it would have an opportunity to produce for the next year. And so moving forward into current times, what I would say is that since many uh, people are not sharecroppers or farmers or anything anymore, I think it is kind of transitioned to the place, especially in the church, where we understand the need for people to have basic needs met. <laughs> it's okay there's a curve i think that's a really that's a really important point and uh, and i appreciate you contextualizing it in a particular uh, community and culture and and ways that that resonates you know for me if you're looking at uh, exodus chapter 23 
This is after the moment that the children of Israel were able to begin to coalesce as a people. So at this moment, I think that the Torah is telling us that there is a corrective in the book of Gen from the book of Genesis. Just like uh, God, or we would say in Hebrew, Hashem, would have offered a particular point of land and a point of perspective in the Garden of Eden. And I think much of this runs up against, you shall be dominion, you shall have dominion over the earth, as it is perhaps imparted to Adam and Eve. Now, I think with a bit of experience, as has been the case in the Hebrew Bible, that there's a bit of a shift. You know, God has learned the, the boundaries and the barriers of Adam and Eve, uh, and let's say Noah and the flood, and now later on with the exodus from Egypt, God is saying, you are not, and you do not have dominion over the earth. Rather, the earth is the Lord's, as it says in Psalms, and you are in fact part of a larger system, a larger ecosystem, a larger rhythm of how this world, your world, functions. So do you have faith in me enough to let the land lie and rest for a year? Let's turn now to Naomi Edelson, Senior Director of Wildlife Partnerships for the National Wildlife Federation. Hi, Naomi, how are you today? I'm good, I'm very good. Nice to join you, thank you. Yeah, thank you for being here. So the Sacred Grounds Program offered by the National Wildlife Federation I was reading up about it online. It sounds like the perfect thing for people who participate in organized religious communities and who also care about the natural world, sustainability, and climate change. I would love for you to tell us all about it. Okay, wonderful. Well, Sacred Grounds has been around for about 10 years, and our goal is to help people and wildlife by green, helping congregations green the outside of their grounds. There's been lots of work done on helping make the inside of congregations more green through energy efficiency, but our effort is focused on the larger space. What is outside your door and how can we make that more hospitable for both wildlife and actually people? 